Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Love you. I love you, Bethel. Grab a seat. Grab a seat. So great to be with you. I love your pastor, his precious wife and family, and this family. I was so excited at one conference last night. There is just so much that God is doing among you all, and I don't want you to take it for granted what God's doing among you. Sometimes things can become too familiar to us. And, and we don't want the move of God to ever become too familiar to us. We want to always treat it as something that's sacred, something that's holy, something to be cherished, something to be always dealt with in an open hand before the Lord. But I'm just honored to be with you. There is a mighty move afoot. Amen? God is doing great things. I bring you greetings from my precious wife, Donna. I met a girl. Donna, what's her name? Whoa, 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 whoa. Remember that little thing? That's, a, that's an old song. Anyways, <laughs> I met that girl when she was 16. She came walking in a youth revival service and had on this brown dress. I still remember that brown dress. Woo! And she had that in the back of the 60s. They wore that little bouffant hairdo, you know, looked like a football helmet. And uh, she come walking in, and I went, Boom! Where has that girl been all my life? So I, fa- I stalked her. I stalked her. I found out who she was, where she was going, where she went to church. I pull up into the church on a Sunday night. I go into church. She's playing the organ for the church. She got up and led the choir at the church. She sang the special number before. We always had a special number sung before you preached. She sang the special number. And I still remember the song, if I can help somebody, I'm going, man, if that woman can cook, I've hit the jackpot. You know what I'm talking about? I've hit the home run. And she would only date me in church. Listen, girls, anybody pursuing you and they won't hang out with you in church, you don't want nothing to do with them. Tell them as the old song goes, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Hit the road, Jack. God knew I needed Mother Teresa's sister to be my wife because I was her mission field. We grew up together. I corrupted her and took her to her first movie. She'd never been to a movie. I took her to her very first movie. You know what it was? The Ten Commandments. And I learned you can't make out when the Ten Commandments are on the movie. I didn't, so that, that didn't work out too good either, you know what I mean? Oh, but I love her to death. She sends her love, and uh, we love you, and we're thankful for you. Let, let me pray. Father, I just pray right now you would just help us to grasp this simple yet profound word of truth you have in your word for us. On every page, on every line, There is a jewel of wisdom that will inspire us and help us, Father, to fulfill the life you've ordained for us. Jesus, you came that we might live and live it abundantly, 
victoriously with a life of great impact. And Lord, that's our prayer today. You will help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Back during when COVID was at its zenith, my daughter had to have a major surgery. And uh, she was uh, filled with a lot of anxiety over it. And we couldn't be with her. None of us, we couldn't go with her. Couldn't, we could just drive her and drop her off in the front of the hospital. Isn't that pitiful back in those days? Couldn't even go in, in with her. So she's really anxious. And her mother comes to me and says, your daughter needs her father. You know, and when the wife says that, when, you know, when she says, hey, your daughter or your son needs their father. Okay, I, I hear I'm going. So I, I went into the room. She was sharing with me. She was crying. And I said, listen, baby, listen to me. I'm going to remind you. With three words, I want to remind you who you are. I just want to remind you who you are. And because of this, you have no fear. Fear has no place in your life because when you are reminded of who you are. And I reminded her and I gave it to her in three words. So we take her to the hospital, we drop her off. My wife wants to wait in the parking lot for hours. I said, I'm not waiting in the parking lot. I said, we can pray for her wherever we are. I'm going to go get a breakfast burrito. You know, I'm gonna, you know she wants to sit there and pray for her in the parking lot. I said, we can pray with her and eat a, eat a burrito. And uh, so we get, we get a text from her and, and she says, uh, uh, Daddy and Mommy, I'm, I'm doing okay. She said, um, I wrote down what you told me. I wrote the three words down, what you told me, and I've been showing everybody in the hospital, and I've been witnessing to them with these three words, and it's blown them away. And one nurse even said to me, well, I don't believe in tattoos, but I think I'm going to get that tattooed on my arm. And I said, baby, I'm so proud. So she took a selfie picture. She'd written the three words down on her hand, and she used it there to look at it. So every time a little anxiety would come up, she would look at her hand and remind her of who she is in Christ. Would you like to know what the three words were? I've been setting you up so you get a little bit more anxious about that. I've been hoping somebody would say, tell me the three words. Come on, brother. Get, get to the bottom line. Give me the three words. Let me show you this picture of my daughter she sent to us. Can you read the words? It says, call... Loved, kept. Now, where'd she get that from? The book of Jude, the 65th book in your Bible, the brother of James, wrote to the saints of God these words in Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude. And he writes, he says to them, he addresses them, to the called and loved of God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. To those who have been called, who are loved, who are kept. And I went into my daughter that night and I said, baby, you're called of God. There is a divine purpose in your life. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. This surgery is not going to interrupt God's divine call on your life. You have a calling that nothing can escape. The callings of God are sure and everlasting. So you don't have to fear because you're called of God. He created you, he designed you, and he called you to his purpose and to his world. And when we come to that understanding, and every one of us need to understand that, we are are gifted and called by God uniquely. 
Paul says to the church at Ephesus, live a life worthy of the calling that's upon your life. All through the scriptures, we see the places where we are called of God. And you know what, parents? We need to speak that over our children. I'm blessed that early on, my grandfather was really my role model, and he was the male figure in my life. My dad was a hardworking man, but he was gone all the time. Rarely saw my father. He was a long-distance truck driver. When he, when he would come in, he'd sleep because he was exhausted. Then he'd get, up and get on the trail again. The only time I'd see dad is on Friday nights. I'd listen for his truck. Because wherever I was playing football on Friday nights in high school, dad would drop his trailer. He'd drive that old Cummins diesel. Boom, 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 boom. I'd hear that thing downshifting, and I'd go, okay, dad's coming to the game. Because he never wanted to miss my games. He never wanted to miss my games in high school, never wanted to miss my games in college. So he'd get a, he'd get a haul that would take him wherever I was playing. I could be playing in Mississippi. I could be playing in Alabama. I could be playing in the Carolinas. It didn't matter where I was playing. I'd listen for that truck because I knew dad was going to come and watch me play. But all through those years, my grandfather was that male figure in my life. And, and, and the great thing about my grandfather was he, he spoke over me words of affirmation about my calling. And he said, son, you're called of God. You, you, you've got a purpose in God. His hand's upon you. His calling's upon you. I remember years ago, uh, James, I was building my home many years ago. And I had a neighbor right there beside me, a good friend of mine. And, and uh, his name was Al. And I said, do you ever like this before I became a full-time pastor and I said ow I said you ever feel like there's a, a calling on your life like there's something more than what you know and he looked at me he goes no I went that, that's sad man I've always felt that I had it ingrained in me and 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 when we as parents especially help our children understand their calling we build stability into their life. We build purpose into their life. And then we help them understand that the word of God is the foundation and revelation that guides them to fulfill the calling that they have. And then what do we do? We position our children to walk in the fog. I'm in um, Louisiana and a uh, pastor friend of ours, you know Pastor Steve Robinson, Church of the King, Louisiana. He took me out um, on this guy's property and I went deer hunting. I, I'm a hunter and, and, and uh, I love to hunt, so I'm out there deer hunting. And, um, and, I, and I like to hunt with my bow, as Pastor said. And, and so I, I, I'm out there hunting, the hunt's over, we're coming in. Here comes this truck towards us, it's just getting dark. And it's the owner of the farm, it's about a 3,000 acre farm in Hammond, Louisiana. And this, this guy gets out of the truck, I never met him, he's the owner of the farm, and his name is Mr. Bollinger, and he comes walking down towards us, and, and the pastor says, this is Mr. Bollinger, he's the owner of the farm. And I walked up to this man, and I said, Mr. Bollinger, I said, thank you so much for letting me come out and be on your farm and hunt tonight, it's been a real pleasure. And this is how he, this is what he said to me, exactly as I said to me. He said, bruh. He said, I'm living in the fog, bruh. He said, my family's in the fog. 
He said, my, my business is in the fog. He said, everything I got's in the fog, brother. That's exactly how he talked. Well, I'm looking around, and I see this mist coming up out of this bottom, kind of a foggy mist, and I'm going, living in the fog. I said, uh, uh, Mr. Bollinger, uh, what exactly do you mean you're living in the fog? He said, bruh, he said, I'm living in the favor of God. I said, come here, baby. I want it all over me. You got it on you. I want it on me. He had a little bald head. I grabbed him. I'm rubbing the bald head. Come on, give me some fog. Give me some fog. I want that fog, don't you? When you teach your children, when you teach your children about their calling, you teach them how to walk in the word and principles of God and apply those principles to their lives, it will literally be life-saving for them, life-changing for them, life-transformational for them. And for all of us, when we apply this, look what the scripture says in, in Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart. Then you will win favor favor the fog and a good name in the sight of who god and man hallelujah i don't know about you but i want to live in the fog i want my children in the fog i want everything in the fog and i'll tell you the other thing about this sense of calling you put in your kids it gives us a sense of really stability in life when we're faced with what could be life-changing decisions because it helps us get back to okay is this god honoring my grandfather always said, Tommy, there's a calling in your life. Whatever you do, always live your life in a way that brings honor to God. If there's anything that's questionable, back away from it. Unless you have a clear sense of direction, I know that this pathway will honor God, you take that path. If this path is questionable, don't go that path. Wait. I was 16 years old. Playing my high school football team, and one thing that helped me play high school ball was this. The second grade was two of the best years of my education I ever spent. Did, did you get that? They held me back in the second grade. You know what they told my mother? She told me later, she said, all he does is stare out the window and he waits for recess. I was built for recess. I wasn't built for that. I said, hey, when it came time for a spelling bee, we used to have little spelling bees in the class. I was the last one picked every time for a spelling bee. But when it came to recess and you're going to pick a team, I'm the first one that everybody picked. I knew my calling right off the bat. It was on the field. It wasn't in the classroom. Now, I went back and got two or doctorate degrees, but that don't mean nothing. I still like what I'm doing on the field, you know what I mean? So I'm playing football, I'm starting as a ninth grader, both ways. Sophomore, starting, both ways. I'd earned most valuable player that year as a sophomore on our team. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself, season's over, I'm hanging out at this little local drive-in place. Guys are cruising through there in their cool cars, hanging out, trying to pick up young ladies. And I'm sitting there trying to be cool. 
My car was so uncool, I parked it in an alley. And I came up and I'm leaning up against a cool looking car like this is my ride, ain't my ride at all. And these guys come driving up in this 56 Chevy and that's a cool looking ride. And in the back seat was one of my running backs, friend of mine, Benny, lived down the road from where I live. Two guys in the front seat and they said, come on, Mons, come, come hang out with us. So I said, man, this would be cool. So I get my foot in the back seat, the two door, and they pull up in the, I pull my seat in the back seat. I look down, I see Benny, and he's got a bottle of beer. I looked up in the front seat, the driver had a bottle of beer, and the other guy had a bottle of beer. Now I got a decision to make. Do I get in this car with these guys drinking? Is this a place that I'm going to bring honor and glory to God, being in this vehicle with these men at this time with what's going on? I had this. They said, come on, Mons, get in, get in. Come on, come on, get in, get in. And I backed out of the car. I said, no, guys, I can't go with you right now. I didn't say why. I didn't make any. I just didn't know. And they're, they're harassing me. Everything else. They go. But there was something deep in me that kept me from getting in that car because it had been drilled into me. Son, you've been called to a higher purpose and a higher calling, and you've got to live a life that brings honor to God. Don't do anything to compromise what God's hand and calling is upon you and his purposes for you. It takes self-denial. And I kind of slinked back to my old Plymouth that was hiding in an alley and drove home. On my way driving home, I saw this sudden burst of light, and I couldn't figure out what it was. I'm in an old country road, and I'm out there, and lo and behold, I come up on a scene of an accident where a car had hit an embankment and burst into flames. There were two bodies, one laying across the road here, one laying up on a little mud hillside from the car that where it hit the bank. And when I got there, I recognized it was that 56 Chevy I ran over to one of the bodies and it was the driver of the car and he's moaning and he's in a lot of pain and by now other cars have stopped and called the police and then we found the other body sitting in the front seat there by him. This other boy had been thrown across the road and people were gathering around him. Now the ambulances have shown up. Could not find my friend in the back seat that played a running back with me. We go searching for him, and I go walking down this little drainage ditch behind where the car hit this bank on the side of the road, and suddenly in the pitch of the dark of that night, my foot touched his body. I screamed for help. They came. I helped carry him up out of there and load him on a gurney. They took him over and examined him. And I will never forget, as they zipped that black bag up over his face, And I went home that night and realized it was only for the grace of God or that would have been me in that back seat that could have been thrown through that rear view, I mean that rear window like he was to his death. When you walk in the principles and precepts of God, there is guidance and there is protection around us. When we teach our children, you're called to a higher purpose, a higher function. The favor and the blessings of God awaits you when you walk. That doesn't mean we're exempt from problems. That doesn't mean we're exempt from trials. That doesn't even mean we're exempt from tragedies. But what it does mean is that God will be with us every step of the way. And even in the difficult times, he will bring glory and honor to him through it. We are called of God. The other thing it says in there, of course, that 
You are loved by the Father. Praise God. I love the fact that in this love of the Father, we find our security. We find our purpose and our calling. We find our security in life through his love. Insecure people go through life struggling and so challenged because they, they, they don't have the security and the peace that comes when you know you are loved. In our home, it was kind of an interesting dynamic in our home. My dad's side of the family, the Mullins side of the family, they were an unaffectionate people, never expressed the word, I love you, or said I love you. Hardworking, good people, provided for their families, but didn't know anything about affirmation. Nothing about affirmation. My mother's side of the family, praise God, they, you would have thought they were Italian by the way they hugged and kissed on you all the time, but they weren't. But they would hug and kiss, hug and kiss, hug and kiss. I was telling Pastor Jim LaFoon last night when he was driving me back from the one conference and we got to talking about our family heritage and how blessed we are. I said, you know, my grandfather modeled for me how to love his wife. He flirted with my grandmother up till the day he passed into heaven. He was flirting with her. He would say things to her, tell her how much he loved her, how beautiful she was. He'd walk by the kitchen and pinch her on the cheek. <laughs> Give her that look. And here I am, almost 80 years old. When I walk through the kitchen, I'm pinching her on those sweet cheeks. I said, come. Matter of fact, I call my wife sweet cheeks. I said, hey, sweet cheeks, come over here, baby. Come on. Come on, baby. I want my kids to know one thing. Their dad loves their mother. You want to give your kids security? Men, you love their mother. That gives them security. And they see that kind of love in the home, stabilize it. And then when we allow the love of God to be manifested through us in the way we love our children, affirm our children, then they're not going to get deceived by this false seduction of what the world calls love. No, 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 no. They're not going to get pulled into that. They're not going to satisfy for that. No, no, no. They've experienced a real thing in the love of God coming into their lives. Amen? I tell men all the time, learn how to affirm your children. If you weren't raised that way, you break that curse and you start it. Pastor Jim, I had a man in our church, he'd always sit right over here, he said, when I'm preaching, he was always right in this, this section right here. Right there. And on my platform, when I leave the platform, I go this way back into my office between services. And, and one day he was standing there waiting on me. Now you got, this is a big man, okay? Now pa Pastor James, you're a, you're a good-sized man, but this man was a big man. I'm talking about a double-wide refrigerator side-by-side -side kind. You can't get your arms all the way around kind of big man. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about a big man. And he's standing there, and I walked up to him. I said, son, what's the... What, he said, Pastor, can you pray for my aunt? Or so he wanted me, so I prayed for his aunt. And we got down and said, come here, son. Give me a hug. And he backed away from me. He, he leaned back. Now, you don't lean back on me. If I'm coming in for a hug and you're leaning back on me, I'm coming after you. 
And I went in, boom, and I hit him. Boom, and I grabbed him. And then I made a mistake. I pulled him towards me. I pulled him towards me. And I said, I love you, son. And he starts weeping. And he dropped his head on my shoulder weeping. And then his weight shifted. And I'm going, <laughs> I'm going down. I'm going down. He's going to pancake me. I'm going down and I'm struggling. I pray the Lord, give me strength. Give me the strength of Samson to hold this man up. His wife was standing there and she whispered to me. He's crying on this shoulder. She's right here. And she said, you're the first man that's ever spoke those words to my husband. You are loved. First man. I survived that moment. <laughs> and I told him, I said, son, now here's your deal. Every week, every week, when you're here, every week, I want you to be waiting for me right by this door. Because I want a hug for you every week. And I want you to know, I, I want to tell you as a father to a son how much I love you. Now, son, when you come here, turn sideways up against the wall so there's room for people to get by you. Now, you think about it. You think about it. Think about it. Think about it, Pastor. When Jesus went to the Jordan River to be baptized by John and the dove descended and the words of the Lord were heard, what were those words? This is my son whom I love and am well pleased. When Jesus was caught up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses and Elijah, and the words of God were heard by the three apostles that were there, what were those words? This is my son, whom I love and am well pleased. Now you think about it. If Jesus needed affirmation from the Father, how much more do we need affirmation and to give our children that affirmation every single day? I text my son this morning. He's preaching in Florida. I said, son, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. You are a mighty man of God. Proclaim the word of God today in the name of Jesus. And know that daddy is praying for you. Every day. Every day. Every day. I tell my children how much I love them. Every day I tell my wife, I don't, can't tell you how many times a day I tell her how much I love her. And she said, oh, but honey, I'm not pretty anymore. Oh, honey, I've got all these wrinkles. Oh, honey, I've got this and I've got that. I said, baby, I don't see any of that. I see that 16-year-old I saw for the first time, man. You light me up. The fire is still burning in this man, I'm telling you right now. Watch out, baby. By the way, honey, if you're watching this online, daddy will be home tonight. Daddy's coming home tonight. Woo! Glory to God.
Yeah, as we get older, that wick may be burning down a little lower, but it's still burning, Bradman. Come on. <laughs> I have no idea what all that means, but praise God. Let your love be so expressed to your children, there's no doubt. And let your love for your heavenly father be so demonstrated before your children, there's no doubt. When we put the things of God first in our life, and they are our priorities in our life, those priorities impact our children for generations to come. And then suddenly they will realize wow, this thing is real. This thing is genuine. I see it manifested. I see it manifested in the way I am loved. I see it manifested in the way my mom and dad love each other, when my grandparents love each other, the way we're loving others, the way we're serving others, the way we're caring for others, the way we're providing for others. I see God in all of this. And I recognize that that's what God's called me to in all of this. So we're called, we're loved, and finally we're kept. And I reminded my daughter, I said, sweetheart, remember, you have the power of God with you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. You know that through Christ you can do all things. You know that he who began the good work will carry it through. You know that all things work together for good to those who love God and call according to his purpose. You've been called according to his purpose since you've been a little girl. So you you can trust God. Goodness and mercy are following you every place you go. You stop quick, they run into you. You got the Spirit of God leading you. He's before you. You've got your front guard, you've got your rear guard. You have nothing to be concerned about. You got a godly mother who's praying and interceding for you. You know the power of prayer, the power of intercession. May you be like the servant to Elisha. When Elisha simply said, Lord, let him see. You remember when the servant woke up and opened the window, looked out and saw the armies of the Assyrians had surrounded them, and he was terrified. You remember that story? And the old prophet, he gets up and he looks out, and he said, Lord, let him see. What he couldn't see in the natural eye that Elisha could see in the, through the spirit was the armies of the Lord that encamped around about the armies of the enemy. And, and when he saw that, fear left. May I tell you something? Now listen to me. Pastor, get this. This will preach. It matters who you're standing beside because it will impact your whole perspective. It went from fear to boldness. Perspective changed because he saw the spiritual perspective of what is going on in the heavenlies. So I said, sweetheart, raise your eyes out of the natural and turn them to the supernatural and let God show you what he has for you. You can be confident that God is with you and for you. Amen? I know I need to quit. I, they haven't been running. They haven't been running this time for me, so I've been a little bit. I've been a little bit confused. 
and I'm feeling young. I'm feeling young today. So no, 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 I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I, I, I do want to tell you one story and I'm going to close. It's about a father who so modeled for his children and grandchildren this life we're talking about. This life of being called, loved, and kept in Christ. It was a man I spoke about last night at the one conference who became a, like a Paul to me, a mentor to me. He was a businessman in my church. Matter of fact, there would not be a church today if that man had not prayed with me and told me, he said, Pastor, if you, if you start this, he called me coach. He said, Coach, if you start the church, my family will be with you 100% heart and soul. When he told me that, I had enough confidence 40 years ago to step out and plant Christ Fellowship. We had no idea today where we'd be and what we're doing and in the nations that we are and the people that we're touching across South Florida and beyond. We had no idea. But that man's faith and courage and maturity and, and, and just who he was as the character of this man motivated me and gave me strength that we could step out and do this. He was my spiritual Paul and mentor, and he passed away a few years ago. I miss him so. He took that role of my grandfather. When my grandfather passed, this man, Dick Smith, stepped up and took his role as my mentor, my one I could go to and pray with, and, and he would guide me and give me wisdom and counsel. I'm sitting at his deathbed, soft praise and worship playing. He's struggling with every breath. We knew the end was very near. And something strange happened that I never witnessed. I've been at the bedside of many people who've taken their last breath here and their first breath in eternity. And I want to tell you something. There's only two things that matter to you at that time. Only two. Your relationship with God and your relationship with your family. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. He's got all of his family, his four children, two sons, two daughters, all of his grandchildren in the room. And I'm there holding his hand of my Paul. I'm about to lose. He's like a father to me. I'm about to lose my father. And the two boys left the room. They came back a few minutes later with a basin of water and a towel. They took the covers and rolled them up off their father's legs and took the compression hose off of his legs. And they started to wash their father's feet. And as they're washing his feet, they were praying, Lord, may the calling that was upon our Father be upon us to love and serve the church and our pastor. Now I'm sitting there holding this man's hand, watching this weeping. And I wanted to desperately get up there and be a part of washing his feet. But I wasn't about to interrupt that sacred moment with two sons that have been so impacted by a man's life that on his deathbed, they were praying for his legacy to be lived through them. The anointing and calling on their father through him. Here's a businessman, successful businessman. But that was his career. That wasn't his calling. His calling was to advance the kingdom of God through the church. 
His calling was to support his pastor. His calling was to be the most generous man he could be with all people. His calling was to be the light of God, the soul of the earth. His calling was to lead his children to understand they were called by God, loved by the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. That was his calling. And he fulfilled his calling with his children taking on his mantle. Every service, every service. He has a grandson that sits right there, serves on our security team, doesn't miss a service. He has two sons. They call me all the time. Pastor, how can we serve you today? What can we do today? What, what's the church need today? Is there anybody needs visiting? Is there, is there something sick? Can we, you know, what can we do? Somebody's house, can we go over and help them? What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? What can we do? His children, his grandchildren, and now his great-grandchildren are all actively serving in the church, honoring God, because one man taught his children, you're called, you're loved, and you're kept. 